0: Wrapping up the day's sporting issues deep into the night, this is Extra Time on SENZ.
1: I'm gonna-
0: After nine, Mark Watson with you. Telephone number this hour is 0800 8255. No, was it? I've God, I almost went back to. So I always go back to a different number for a station. I perhaps worked on 0800. No. 0800 150811 is the number. 0800 8555. 800 150811 It's hard when you've done an hour, then you sort of sit an hour out because of the netball, which was these guys do great. Um, you sort of lose your mojo a little bit, and then you're sort of sitting out there. And I was doing a bit of study, actually, um, on the Marty Cup of all things, the, the rowing regatta for secondary schools, which, which I'll touch on shortly. Uh, anyway, enough of that. I'd like you to jump on the phone and have a chat. 800 150811 um, Try not to get an understanding on why crowds are so poor in New Zealand at the moment. Not a lot of people tuning up to watch the All Whites play China very few people tuning up to watch the Black Caps play Sri Lanka in a one day. I thought the Blues crowd was really disappointing on a Sunday afternoon and Alpaki Super Rugby the Women's Super Rugby, no one's watching it at all Why? What is it? What does it take now to get you to go along to live sport? Is it that the venues are just not accessible? Is it that the ticket pricing's too expensive. When you get there, the concession stands are not good enough, i.e. the food's not great, too expensive. Is there just not enough on the line? Do the games just have carry no weight? Is there no jeopardy if you lose? What does ring your bell these days? What would get you along? Where would you spend your money? Because it's disappointing. I mean, I've got my thoughts on why rugby is lost interest, and I've probably said that a thousand times. But one day cricket used to be the hottest ticket in town when I was growing up. There was nothing better. There was nothing there was nothing bigger or better about it. You know, to see the All Whites play with guys like Chris Wood, I would have thought would have been a, a big opportunity. I mean, football is a big, big sport at a grassroots level but again disappointing crowds mind you I don't think the tickets for the football were particularly cheap and I think they priced themselves out of the market a little bit I I, I just want to know why are people not going to live sport is it because as a country we're no longer this sort of uh, rugby racing and beer you know when I was growing up 70s and 80s and you go back and your dad was young and you know sort of she'll be right New Zealand attitude oh rugby racing and beer it's sort of like we've moved on from that haven't we you know we are a country who now as New Zealanders we like to explore the outdoors we've got a much greater understanding of cuisine and wine Uh, I think the arts and theatre have become a lot more prevalent in our way of life there's a lot more there's a lot more venues that allow those platforms to put themselves on display. And is that the reason why sport is no longer the number one ticket in town? Is it too that, oh, I've been to three or four rugby games, I don't need to go to another one, I know what I'm getting. I've been to a few football games, I don't need to go to any more, I know what I'm getting. And what brings you back? Well, generally, what brings people back overseas is a thing called tribalism because you love your team, you want your team to do well, you're emotionally attached, you're on the roller coaster, the emotional roller coaster. But we just don't seem to have that level of tribalism anymore. I mean, I'll argue that some of the biggest and best crowds I see are still at school sport at a real domestic grassroots level. Maybe because it's games more pure. Maybe because you can stand on the sideline. It is accessible. And it might just simply because you've got your kids playing or friends' kids or you've got an association with that school. 0800-150811 is the number. I I, I want to explore the Alpaki Super Rugby, the women's Super Rugby. You know, we were told last year that that Rugby World Cup was going to cause this massive explosion in the game, that women's rugby is the next big thing. It's going to be the growth area of the sport. I haven't seen it, though. And there's a reason why our women's rugby players shouldn't get paid and it's a simple one. They just simply don't sell tickets. And it should come down to that. That's the basic business model for anything. Why is it that we tend to have a large part of the media pushing this political narrative about their women's rugby players getting paid Yet, we never hear them talking about our swimmers getting paid, our women swimmers or our women track and field athletes getting paid, our women hockey players getting paid, our triathletes getting paid. When arguably there is greater depth in those sports internationally, arguably the stakes are much higher 0800-150811. 0800-150811. What is this fascination with rugby from our media? And why must it be that because men are good at rugby, our women need to be and have to be, and we're going to push that narrative? I mean, I don't expect our men to be good at netball. In fact, I think it's a dreadful product, men's netball. I think they give the girls some really important pre-test series game time for the Silver Ferns. But as a product, I think the women's game is superb. It's a great product. It's taken time. It's established itself. It understands its economy. Top women are getting paid, but it's not exorbitant, again, because it's not a truly global sport and they are limited by television deals. It's a model based on economics, the commercial realities of it all. we should just celebrate that we should celebrate women's tennis and we should celebrate these sports women's golf etc but I don't think we should just be trying to manufacture the need for historically what have been male sports just suddenly need to have a women's point of view at the highest level if it's a good enough product, people will go and watch it. If it's a good product, it'll pay for itself. But clearly, it's not. 800 150 is the number. Um, I was also asked today about Sean Johnson. I did a little podcast piece with a colleague of mine, and I was asked to apologise about Sean Johnson because through four games, he's had a pretty good season, really, hasn't he? Mind you, the Warriors have had a much better start to the season. There appears to be a little bit more toughness and mental fortitude being shown by this Warriors team. And Sean Johnson was probably the difference on the weekend against the Dogs. Andrew Webster has instilled greater mental fortitude. It's just amazing that other coaches have failed to do that. I would have thought the top two inches is the number one criteria for any coach at elite level sport, but clearly not the case in rugby league. You know, they'll be they'll be telling me next that Andrew Webster's a visionary because he's managed to address the mental side. But my, going back to Sean Johnson, look, my thoughts on Sean are that... I, I, I've always said this, I wouldn't have him in the trenches. He's too inconsistent. And for me to jump up and down about Sean Johnson, I need to see him doing what he did on the weekend, next weekend, and the weekend after, and in the months of June and in the months of July when these guys have played 17, 18 games, injuries are prevalent within the squad, travel factors starting to impact the team. And then I'm happy to say, hey, I got this wrong and well done to him. But I always remember a philosophy from Mark Sorensen, one of New Zealand's greatest ever softball players, when he was coaching the White Sox, the Black Sox. What are they? Yeah, the Black Sox, aren't they? And he didn't tolerate fools, but he said, if you're going to be the man, you be the man every day. And I think that's probably what I'm still waiting for from Sean Johnson. Be the man every day. There's no doubt about his, his, his ability, but it's that whole thing about application. It's about heart, it's about mental fortitude. You back that up with the physical skills he's got and the natural talent that he's got. And you do have a wonderful player, But it's just some of those other attributes of talent I just haven't seen from them. For me to be sold that somehow this year is going to be different from next. 800 150 hundred-150-811 is the number if you do want to phone the program. Uh, Love to get your thoughts. Uh, This weekend, Chiefs at home to the Blues. Chiefs unbeaten. Blues don't want to drop three. But I just haven't seen enough from the Blues for me to believe that they can go down to Hamilton and beat the Chiefs. There is just something missing at the moment. I'm not sure what it is. Steve Devine thinks it's just ruck speed. Getting to the tackler, getting to the tackle ball, Having your cleaners there and allowing your halfback to recycle ball very quickly, and that seems to be an area where the Blues have failed. I'd like to see a bit more angst. I hope there is a good crowd in Hamilton for this. Everyone south of the Bombays hates Auckland, the Jaffers, whatever else we're called. And in a sporting sense, I've got no problem with it because it means that there is a rivalry, that there is tribalism. But does it still exist? I mean, we've got 24,000 for the Crusaders game, people going, great crowd, that should have been a sellout. It wasn't. wasn't a sellout. What sort of crowd are we going to get for the Chiefs this weekend? Chiefs-Blues. Huge game. I think it'll be okay. I don't think it'll be great, though. It might be big by previous standards, but by historical standards, it still won't be great. And so what does that say then about the Super Rugby competition? In a perfect world, if I'm running this game, I get rid of Super Rugby, I just bring back the NPC and I do it properly. So two points in that. Super Rugby versus NPC. which would you like to see? Or maybe three points. Tribalism, is it strong in Super Rugby? And Chiefs fans, are you going to turn up in droves to try and beat the coffee boys from up north? the Aucklanders, the city slickers, the privileged, whatever you want to use, whatever you want to call. 800 150 is the number. Uh, Michael Holdsworth's texted in and said, well done, Central Stags win four trophy final today. Michael, really pleased you follow it, but nobody else does. Again, it goes back to my original point. What is it with domestic sport in this country? Why does no one seem to care anymore? Why has it become so irrelevant? Do the only things we care about now are pinnacle events, the Olympics, World Cups, occasional series against Australia or those absolute traditional arch enemies like maybe the All Black South Africa? There's always appears to be apathy even when the All Blacks are playing now. We're not seeing numbers improve in terms of viewing numbers. We're seeing them continue to decline. Why? 0800 150811. You can text us here on 8833. 20 minutes after nine, you're listening to SENZ Mark Watson with you. Alongside of me, Ben Francis. We'll bring Ben into the programme shortly. Uh, look, just trying to conjure up a little bit of talk back on 0800 150 uh, The other big talking point has been this switching um, from league to rugby by Suwali, this uh, Roosters player. A uh, young talent um, deciding that he wants to go up the NRL and chase rugby. And this has caused a level of consternation and upset people like Gus Gould. But look, he's just simply going where the money is, isn't he? Um, Australian... uh, ARLC Commissioner uh, Peter Vlandes uh, took a swing uh, at Rugby Union in the wake of this Joseph Sawali bombshell. Um, He's gone on to say that he believes the 19-year-old will get terribly bored in union and will turn to the NRL in the future. It's funny how it's all changed around. When I was growing up, in the 1980s, I remember a player by the name of Kurt Sherlock going across to rugby. Um, it was then followed by John Gallagher, 1987, all black fullback. Then Matthew Ridge went, we had a player by the name of Ian Crossan go, um, and a numbers and and, and quite a few. And then rugby became professional and a lot more money came into the game and it started to go a little bit the other way, um. Is it it going to help Australia win test matches? Is it going to help Australia win a Rugby World Cup? Probably not. What it is going to do for a brief period of time, it's going to hopefully, and this is what Australian rugby will be hoping for, they're hoping that rugby league guys will suddenly switch to Rugby Union and watch Joseph Soali and see how he does go in the game of Rugby Union and then hopefully have those people then become sort of rugby union stalwarts. I think it's uh, pretty optimistic. It's not going to happen. There'll be some small interest initially, but I'm not sure he's a big enough player, a big enough star to conjure up that level of curiosity. So it's an interesting one from Australian rugby. Why are they doing this? I would have thought spending that money would be better in terms of developing coaches or just investing back into the game. I mean, it wasn't that long ago where pretty much Australian rugby was almost bankrupt. And so suddenly they think the answer lies with a young, exciting outside back. Big risk. Only an injury away from not playing at all. But it is very hypocritical of Rugby League, who for so long did take very good rugby union players away from rugby to suddenly sort of come out and start pointing the finger at rugby. 800 150811 is the number. Evening to you, Ben. Welcome. G'day, mate. How are you? Yeah, all right. Thanks, mate. Yeah. Surviving? Surviving?
1: Yeah. I think you've brought up some very interesting topics uh, tonight, uh, and just the one at the moment on uh, Joseph Sueli'i. I got quite, I don't want to say frustrated by this, but the chief CEO of Rugby Australia came out and said, look, we're set, they made a profit last year apparently and they're set to make a profit in 2025 for the British and Irish Lions Tour in 2027 with the Rugby World Cup. But the one thing which has kind of really annoyed me is the way that the rugby league side has handled this. So you have a guy like Phil Gould come out and he says, don't let the door hit, hit your behind on the way out. You might as well just go now and things like that. And I was thinking... Yes, you're entitled to say that, but this is the system that Rugby League has in place which enables players to sign these deals Mm. 18 months out from when their contracts are about to end. So I think they should be taking a look at their yeah, systems.
0: Yeah, but look at Gus Gould. He's a hired gun. One minute he's with the Warriors, the next minute he's across with the Doggies. Uh, I, I, he, he's a Penrith guy. He'd take the best deal on television. I find all of these guys hypocrites, mate. What, what you've got to realise with the Polynesian players too is there is, and I and I don't want to generalise, but it is understood that, look, different, different background and different family set up to us Europeans. We tend to have mum and dad. The Pacific Island players, it tends to be um, uh, you know, it, it, the, the family unit is far greater, far broader, its grandfathers, its uncles. And there is a responsibility for the younger generation to look after the older generation. And I'd imagine that all of those things are factored into it. And so, yeah, it's, uh, you know, the guy's 19. Um, he clearly wants to play the British and Irish Lions, which is a big deal. He can always come back to rugby league, can't he, three, four, five years from now?
1: Well, he can do and One of the reasons why I think it's getting overlooked in terms of why he left is because he wants to be playing fullback, and the Roosters literally just re-signed James Tedesco, so he's going to be there for at least a few more years. So he's probably thinking, well, I don't want to be playing out on the wing. I might as well take this opportunity and get to play the British and Irish Lions, get the possibility of playing at a in a home World Cup, but... I I think the kind of, yeah, like I say, the way the guys in rugby league kind of spoken about, I think, has been kind of weird because, like, you look at the last World Cup Australia hosted, look how many guys from league went to there, and they were all perceived to be the heroes, pretty much.
0: But there was a New Zealand Seven Stars, I think, William Warbrick, who quit New Zealand rugby and signed with the Melbourne Storm. Nobody said anything about that. Sorry, New Zealand rugby player going to go and play for the Melbourne Storm. Oh, well. There will still be rugby guys that will jump across. They might not be as high profile, but there'll still be a lot of union guys who will give it a go. I mean, Asaya he played at Mount Abbot Grammar School first 15. Mm. Was um, a member of a national winning first 15 side, was the best player in schoolboy rugby? Rugby league got him. Exactly. Does anybody jump up and down about that? I I've got no time for what I like about Phil Gould. Don't get me wrong. I'd rather I'd like to have a lot of Phil Goulds in New Zealand rugby here because we're talking about it, we're discussing it and it might get some more bums on seats. Um so I like Phil Gould because I think rugby league needs its Phil Goulds, but yep. I don't like Phil Gould.
1: You know what I mean? No, I I know exactly what you mean because I'm glad being someone that follows the Warriors. I'm glad that he's no longer with the Warriors because if, I, if there's a guy like this To me, when I look at a team like the Breakers, and this is something we have discussed, I think a big part of their success is, one, being back at home, of course, but two, the fact that Matt Matt Walsh was behind the scenes and was kind of keeping quiet I and mean, when you've got a guy who Phil Gould who's currently associated with the Canterbury Bulldogs and he's constantly doing things like this to me it's kind of it's a bad look mm. I, that's what I feel anyway so I'm glad that he's gone oh, look I think he's yesterday's man anyway
0: I never felt that those guys are the answer to the Warriors I always felt that the Warriors was more about um, desire it was always more about the shoulders up rather than the head down um, I, I just look at guys like the Phil Guilds and stuff I look at rugby league and I just think I, I just automatically go back to that booze culture I just associate that old school with you know turning up, playing a bit of league having a victory, going out on the large to 3am in the morning and thinking somehow they can get away with that in the long term and that's okay and it's not okay
1: yeah, and the other thing I was quite interested in talking about is we are talking about the, the Chiefs-Blues game this weekend. And I, I kind of feel like it kind of really does need to go back to that NPC because oh, I kind of feel like that, that's, that's where you are talking about the tribalism and that, that's where right. it comes from.
0: I mean, what game against Australia it, it gets us so... I mean, we had the bloody Brumbies come here on Friday and they had seven Wallabies out. They dropped seven... They rested seven Wallabies. You know, and then you go... And then the Crusaders are resting a few. In fact, they had to request to get Scott Barrett in. So suddenly the All Blacks can play six games in a row, which is just a complete contradiction um, and a complete double standard for the other New Zealand super rugby sites I mean the whole competition, the whole domestic game in this country is nothing short of an absolute mess, all at the mercy of the bloody All Blacks mate, it's all part of the problem, Sky are complicit in it I, I mean what on Sky gets you watching anything now outside of the live sport, there is nothing, their programming, their local programming is just dull and boring you've got YouTube you can choose, you've got Netflix you can choose, you've got so many other long platforms and you go I'm going to come home what am I going to watch? Oh let's watch Sky with you know some terrible bloody football show with Goran Paladin you know or let's go and watch um, you know uh, some awful what is it called the rugby pod or whatever. It's just mindless mindless um, stereotypical basic crap television mate And they wonder why? They wonder why no one's watching the game. I mean, when was the last time? When was the last time somebody got Mark Roberts, and the CEO of New Zealand Rugby, and grilled that dude and asked him the hard questions? Asked him about the state of club rugby. Asked him the truth about the cost of the women's game in terms of, you know taking expenses away from other parts of the game and is it really worth it and where are the crowds for for this? You know, when was the last time that was done? It's not,
1: mate. It's never done. Well, do you think the prices of Sky are probably contributing to why people aren't going to the game? Because I don't know how much Sky costs. I believe for the basic package it's about $50 a month. I believe sport's about another $30. No, I think if it's good enough you go. I mean, look, at the end of the day you can go... Yeah, but in this climate though, people can't afford it.
0: Oh, yeah, but cafes are still full. People are still buying breakfasts. People are still buying coffees. Oh, I, look, I think if the product's good enough, people will go. I do. Oh, I, but you've got to have a reason to go. You've got to have a level of engagement. You've got to have a curiosity to want to go, mate. And all that's been taken away. Look, look at rugby league. I'll say this. At least with the Suwali situation, you've got people talking about the game. Then you go back last week and you've got the niggle between uh, Penrith and uh, Parramatta. Um, Parramatta. And it sort of lived up to that. You've always got some moron that's doing something stupid or finds himself in court off the field. You do have the hothead personalities. We've just been talking about the Gus Goulds. Um, what's his name for Canberra? Um, Ricky Stewart. You've got these hotheads. They're all these different personalities. They're They're caricatures in their own right. But every week, the best players are playing. There's no guarantee you're going to win, even against the lesser side. So it's got a bit of an English Premier League feel about it at times. The bottom teams can still tip up the top teams. And it's got all these things going on. What the hell has rugby got? Sky do nothing. They don't critique anything. They're a public relations firm. The breakdown is just an awful bloody show. You know, John Curran will make a a controversial statement about a player, but that's about it. No one questions the administration. No one asks the hard questions about rest and rotation and whether the all-black coaches should be able to dictate. None of this. And then they wonder why no one's turning up and watching the damn thing. Every time you get a player on, there's some media manager telling them what they can say and what they can't say. The coaches have no angst with each other. You know, Sky have invested 400, almost 500 million in the game of rugby. You would think they would want to secure that investment. You would think that they would want interest in the game. Interest is declining and they are complicit in it. No one's talking about it anymore. You're not going to tune in at 8 o'clock on a Monday night or a Sunday night or whatever night the breakdown's on because someone is going to tell you the damn obvious. And they're going to use some special effect to highlight the little gap that the second five ran through because the Yanks do it. I'll always remember, always remember, when Scott Robertson applied for the all-black job at the end of the last World Cup, he came out, he was never going to get it, it was always Ian Foster's, everyone knows that, they try and make it like it was some transparent process. Scott Robertson comes out in the media and says, oh, I felt that I was ambushed by Sir Graham Henry. It felt like it was a done deal. Big story. You should be all over that. I tuned in that night to see what the panel on the breakdown we're going to say about it. And you know what they said? Nothing. They then went on to tell me what was wrong with Australian rugby. What don't they get? Man has an affinity for a train wreck. Man's defeats are on the front pages of the newspapers. Man's victories are on the back. Violent crime in America is the lowest it has been since 1961 when it was low. But we have this perception that it's incredibly high. Why? Why? because there has been a proliferation in the reporting of it, because people like to read that sort of stuff. We love the off-field scandals. Why do you think Harry and bloody Meghan Markle and everybody reads about it? Because whether we admit it or not, we love the tabloid, don't we? It's what rugby's lacking. It's what sport's lacking. That's why nobody's going. And these bloody broadcasters in this woke environment are part of it. And then they want to come out in four or five years' time from now. Let's have a focus group. What's wrong with the game? Oh, we sat down with a whole lot of people in the room. I don't care. People don't say what they truly think when they sit in a room in a formal situation like that. Some of them get swayed by others. Some of them feel they need to give an answer that the person wants to hear. I mean, rugby is boring. Sam Kane is boring. Sam Whitelock is boring. Great players, boring. Because we know nothing about them. They've got no personalities. All our coaches are matey matey. Why do you even have that half time speech? It's just the same cliched crap all the time. 800 1508 is the number. It is 21 minutes away from 10 o'clock. Telephone number is 800 1508 Look, the other talking point, too, reported in the Herald that blues player Tom Robinson uh, more than likely will head off to Japan and play for Toyota. Uh, A lot of people have felt that Tom Robinson... Possibly deserved a bit of an All Black call up, particularly based on the form that he showed last year. But for some reason, seems to be out of favour. Um, I'm not sure what rationale they can provide why they didn't pick Tom Robinson. That you couldn't perhaps apply to Roger Tuivasa-Sheck. But they've got two sets of rules for different players, don't that's It's always been that way. What annoys me here is though that this again is being driven by Steve Hanson. So Steve Hanson's out of the All Black environment now and now he's luring top New Zealand players over to Japan. Wasn't it the same Steve Hanson who was furious when Brad Shields decided to leave the Hurricanes after not getting picked for the All Blacks and going off and eventually playing for England. I remember the time at the comments that, you know, these guys need to be patient and they need to hang around longer, and he wasn't overly impressed. He wasn't impressed when the likes of Pia Tau and Stephen Lewatour went overseas, you know, how dare they turn their back on New Zealand rugby and chase the money. Now here he is, here he is getting paid, so suddenly his morals, you know, not quite there when it comes to New Zealand rugby. It's all about the money now. Steve Hansen's getting paid, let's make sure we get our top New Zealand players over to Japan. Absolute and utter hypocrisy. I've never been a big fan of Sir Steve Hansen, never have. Felt that he he, along with others moved the New Zealand rugby model from one of us being rugby fans to one of us being all black fans. I felt that everything he did was in his own interests and it came at the expense of the greater good of New Zealand rugby and we're starting to see the damage from that now with the lack of crowds with the lack of depth and the lack of interest in the game and the only people that seem to be making money are the players Uh, what do you make of this this group of the large number of players that are heading off to Japan it's always going to happen isn't it um, and I think all you have to do is readjust. You've got to say now, you know, you're not going to get guys who are going to pay eight, 10 years for Super Rugby. You're probably going to get five. And if they're not an All Black within five years, you're probably going to lose them. And then beyond that, you're going to get a lot of players who are going to play maybe 50 tests for the All Blacks and they're going to go. And so you might not see a lot of players going on to play 100 tests for the All Blacks anymore. It might be, you know, a solid number of. Test matches might be four years, might be fifty tests, and then the money in Japan, the money overseas, is the model. And so you just have to adjust the game in this country accordingly. That experience is not going to be defined by a hundred games. Experience is probably going to end up being defined by thirty games. Oh eight hundred one five zero eight double
1: one. How cool would it! How how good would it be though to kind of keep our all blacks here if we have a big domestic competition?
0: Well, yeah. Look, I I, I still think you can make it work. I, I mean, if we get the NPC up and going, and you did allow for some foreign players, and you somehow could put you know you put need to put a salary cap in place, you'd need to probably have an investment from private capital or commercial and I'm sure there's a lot of wealthy people out there that would love to own a rugby franchise let's use that word and you'd have to get that model right between the professional tier and the union itself but again that's about sitting around with some smart people and working out the best way of doing it but wouldn't it be great that every week you weren't sure of the outcome of the games every week you weren't at the mercy of New Zealand rugby your best players played they were paid to play like they are in Japan you know,
1: well, even in the NPC, what twenty years ago, you see all the All Blacks play in that as well, mm. and those were those were great games, and you'd always get good crowds. Mm.
0: Yeah, I mean, rugby's got to do something. It's just continuing to lose interest, and the and I think and, and the fan base. And you know, once thirty thousand was a good crowd, now it's twenty thousand, or it's probably even less now.
1: And we have to remember as well, this is not just a New Zealand issue. This is in other countries. You just look at what's been going on in Wales, for example. And there's clubs in England which are struggling too, some of these big premiership clubs. Yeah, I mean, the thing with the Northern Hemisphere over us is they've actually
0: got scale. I mean, they can afford to operate. They might not be able to afford to operate at the amount they're paying their players, but they can still have a pretty good professional game. They've just got population. One thing we don't have... Um, but I, I mean, I, look, we've got the TV on here at the moment in these studios, and there's another rugby league show with maddie Johns and some former players, and this one is more around the arrows on the screen and drawing players and putting players into gaps. And I've got no problem with that, but you also know you're going to get the hard hitting shows like NRL Three Sixty, which is which, just finished, which is just finished. And you're also then going to get some sort of uh, comedic type shows where you get a bit of the characters in it and they go out and do some skits and they actually do it quite well and it's quite funny.
1: The good the good thing with like a show like NRL 360 as well is that it's, it's on the days where there is no rugby yeah. league on. So it continues that narrative yeah. throughout the week heading into the round. Yeah.
0: And, and, and there'll be some player later in the week that'll get charged for cocaine in a hotel room or or some excursion in the bloody bathroom on a Saturday night at 2am. But for whatever reason, it actually adds to the product, doesn't it? It's another narrative. It's multiple narratives. As I said, we all know the NRL coaches. We hardly know anything about our rugby coaches. Um, I just can't understand why rugby allows this, their host broadcaster, or forces their host broadcaster to basically be a PR firm for them. I I just don't understand. I don't know why Sky buy into it because I think it's detrimental to them too. Mind you, to me, Sky at the moment is just a platform for women's rights. They don't. They seem more... I read there was a headline in the Herald the other day where Sky reached their target of 50% women, 50% men in their executive so we've got to have the same amount of men and the same amount as women. That's what we're going to do. I mean, it is dangerous. It's a dangerous economic model. And, I, and I'll and i tell you why. We want in society equality of opportunity. So we want everybody to have the same opportunities to go to university, to go and study for engineering, whatever it is, okay? We don't want to have any barriers up level playing field, but you cannot have equality of outcome, which is what Sky are doing. And I'll tell you why. Because to achieve equality of outcome, it basically requires you to discriminate against the best candidates to achieve the balance. I'll give you an example. So you've got 10 positions available and the 20 best candidates are of one gender. You can only offer five of those candidates a position. The other five positions must go to people of the other gender, even though there are 15 better qualified candidates. It's not good for your business, and it's not fair on the candidates. It is discrimination. Now, it's the same if you're promoting people within a company. Imagine that you've got four managers, two men, two women, and you've got this ideology of 50% men, 50% women. One manager leaves... And therefore the replacement must be of the same gender, regardless of who's best for the job. It's not good. So you've got Sky Television, share price is $0.24. You can buy 10 shares for $0.24. So when you pick up the New Zealand Herald or the newspapers, they've got the stock market prices there, it'll have $2.40. But you actually get 10 shares for that. Remember, one share five, six years ago was $4. It's now 24 cents. Now, I've got no problem if you want to play gender politics, if you want to go down the path of identity politics, as long as it equates to increase in revenue, because that's the responsibility you've got is to your shareholders. I don't see that. All I see is a political platform now for women's rights, right down to the presenters the commentators I mean there was a headline a few years ago first time ever Sky sending five women journalists to the Olympics did not matter whether they're any good or not we're just sending five women to the Olympics because we want to make a headline Now, I don't care if you sending five women to the Olympics just make sure they're the best and they're the right people but I think if we've all watched Sky TV I think it's pretty clear to say that they're not always the best people are they? 0800 150811. We'll take a break. Six minutes away from 10 o'clock, you're listening to SENZ. Uh, telephone number's 0800 150811. Hey, Michael Holdsworth, thank you for texting in, mate. Do appreciate it. Um, don't always agree, but thank you for texting and appreciate you listening. Uh, look, um, if you do want to find the programme, I'd love to get your thoughts. Um, I'm just trying to work out what is going on with sport in this country. I, I, I've got my thoughts and views on why there seems to be a lack of engagement why so many sports that were once appointment viewing don't appear to be. And I do go around and ask a lot of people at different things I go to. I don't live in a world of sport like I once did, so we have an eclectic mix of associates and friends, and I'm always asking, and general thing comes back regarding Super Rugby, oh, yeah, don't really watch it anymore. And I even talk to former players and they don't really watch it anymore. Um, but we've seen it, you know, hardly anyone turned up to watch the All-Whites game. No one really turned up to watch the Black Caps play Sri Lanka at... Eden Park no one's watching women's alpaca super rugby what are we watching are we sitting at home and watching it on TV because I don't even get that feeling I ask people no they'll watch the highlights they'll watch bits of it but it's just not the defaults anymore it just appears to be other things people are busier there's more opportunity there's more sports to choose from we've evolved as a country we've matured I mean, the Warriors have got it right. They play it at the right time on a Sunday afternoon, don't they? They've got a really big loyal audience, or the NRL does. For the reasons I mentioned, they've got multiple narratives that constantly keep the interest in the game. Rugby, it's got none. Their media partners don't allow it. Rugby don't allow it. And all they're interested in is the All Blacks. And I think when it comes to the women's game, I think they're all disingenuous. It is 10 o'clock. You are listening to SENZ with you through to 11 o'clock tonight. Telephone number is 0800 150 811. Ben Francis alongside of me. Ben, I will be absolutely livid if I finish here tonight. I jump on a motorway north I get detoured and I get orange cones. I've had a gutsful of it. Absolutely over it mate whatever happened to when someone was cutting down a tree on the side of the road you put out a cone and everybody slowed down and drove around that cone and used some common sense to now you have a kilometre of cones in both directions you have a stop go person at each end and then you have a vehicle supporting the vehicle that's cutting down the tree and we wonder why we've got a city that's 240 million dollars in deficit, or we've got no money at a central government level to pay teachers more or nurses more. Over
1: it, yeah, me, me too, and I I feel like the the new Auckland A League football team should be called Road Current FC and they should have an orange uniform because yeah. we there are that many around here it's literally as you say if, if, oh it's everywhere mate. if we if we'd have a new referendum for a flag it should be it should be it should have like the egg or the kiwi with the laser beams or the road cone on top of uh, it.
0: but but you seriously like every everything's orange cones everything's got a stop go person i never remember this growing up i never remember it and now it's just like legislation around safety concerns has become so over the top. I mean, you sit there and you think, okay, what's the stop-go guy getting paid? 25 bucks an hour, and you've got two of them, and you add that up. Then you've got the guy in the truck. Then you've got the subcontractor that actually hired the facilities, and the subcontractor that's, you know, and what are we paying per cone, per hour, per day? And you just add it up, and you think, man, I should have gotten into the road code business because someone <laughs> is making some serious coin.
1: I actually did, I've actually done some roadworks before, like using the machines to, you know, grate up the roads and uh, then you use rollers to relay it and all that. And we were sometimes, you know, on doing them for about 12 hours a day. But the actual work you would do in a day would probably be I would say, three to four hours, and the rest of it is that you're just waiting around for everything else. You're waiting for council approval. You're waiting for your oh, other no. colleagues to get done. It's it's it's, it's incredible. And I'm not, I'm not dismissing because it's 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 tricky work and you've got oh, to have licences no, to do the machines. Get me but. wrong.
0: I'm not having any anybody doing it. Hey, a job's a job,
1: man. I'm, I'm not there judging people for doing it. Hmm. I'm just judging the system for allowing it. Yeah, and that, that's where I was getting at too. Like It seems like there, there is a flawed system and – I can't remember what it is, but you might be aware. But back in the day, they used to have, was it like the Works Minister, where it, oh, you, Minister of Works, yeah, yeah, Ministry
0: of Works, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, and like, you kind of feel like that maybe a system like oh, that. I know we're going just, down no. a different rabbit hole, but
0: no, <laughs> oh, I just get frustrated because I know that nothing's going to be easy. I've been doing this quiz quiz night, hosting one of those quiz nights um, on a Thursday night, just, just dipping my toes in it, helping somebody out. Um, And it's in Henderson, right, which is West Auckland. And even getting out of there, every time I've got out of there, the on-ramp onto the motorway has been shut. I've had to be forced to take detours. And what actually ends up being quite an enjoyable couple of hours ends up being just this terrible three and a half hours because of the traffic that I'm having to deal with. Anyway, I digress. Um, I digress. Um, Look, 800 is the number. Um... Just going back to my points between 9 and 10, and people tune in and off radios all the time and therefore, you know, part of repeating ourselves is actually part of broadcasting sort of protocol to agree. Um, But I, I just want to go back. No one watched the women's Alpaki Super Rugby. For all of the hype last year about how women's rugby is the next big thing and, boy, it's just going to kick off this revolution. I mean, it's absolutely utter rubbish. It was just a bunch of... Feminists with an agenda, desperate for it to happen, who blew it out of proportion, and it hasn't happened. Um, But no one turned up to watch it. Hardly anybody turned up to watch the Blues against a Western Force team that no one knows any players in. Not a great crowd for the all-whites-China game. Terrible crowd for New Zealand cricket versus versus Sri Lanka at Eden Park. That was the hottest ticket in town when I was growing up. One day cricket, almost a sellout. Guarantee it. Best fun day out. Loved it when I was a kid. Loved it. So what's going on? What are people watching? Um, Are you sitting at home watching I know you're not sitting at home watching the cricket because no one's got Spark. And that's been part of the problem. Because they gave cricket to Spark, because they took the cash grab, they lost 80% of their audience um, and they lost their best form of marketing and therefore... People are not familiar with this Black Caps team, not familiar with the players. It's Sri Lanka, and there doesn't appear to be a lot on the line. So they're not going to that. All whites, they're playing China. Just no one cares. What does it all mean? Oh, some country wants to play us. Finally, we get some international football. But it's not a side that, oh, it's not Brazil. It's not Argentina. It's not one of those established footballing sides. So you feel like it's a little bit of an exhibition, and it's probably not going to be a great standard, and I think there was sixty bucks a ticket for adults and forty bucks for children. I mean, that is
1: just dumb and daylight robbery. Did you hear about the debacle with the Ford Trophy final, which was today? No. So the the game had to get rescheduled because of uh, the cyclone, but it was scheduled on on today, which was the same day as the Black Caps and. Because Spark was going to schedule the uh, take the Black Caps game, which ended up going ahead, that meant the Ford Trophy final had to no coverage on Spark and was then just live streamed on YouTube with free entry.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I mean, let's be honest, mate. Who's really
1: interested in domestic cricket anyway? But then it's the thing: is is yeah. that it's become irrelevant now because yeah. there's so much international cricket.
0: Well, that's it. It's like anything. We throw sport at people, don't we? And it goes back to that thing: you want quality, not quantity. And it's a stake sport. Does I mean, I used to enjoy my um, used to enjoy my uh, World Series of Poker, and then it seemed every other tournament suddenly was on, and then these exhibition poker tournaments were on. I was like, now just take me back to Las Vegas. Just take me to the just you know, just take me to the the bracelet sort of series leading up to the world championship. Darts to a degree, I think. Sometimes, um, you know, we we want we want quality. We don't need it in our face every two minutes. And when we do watch it, make sure it's the best product that you're showing us, because we switch off pretty quickly because we can flick channels and go to something else or we can go to Netflix or we can go to YouTube
1: or we can just simply watch little Instagram-type videos via Facebook. Do you think it's going to hit a stage where, because we're, we're talking about there's too much cricket, there's too much rugby, there's too much this, is it going to get to a stage where things are actually going to start going backwards and we're going to start seeing less of it because it is becoming too much well, of everything oh, look, now?
0: something's got to change, eh? I just don't know how these sports are going to survive. There's so much demand from players for money. They're, except, they're used to a certain standard now. Um, you can't see them taking a, a back, backward step. But, you know, you, you look at it. I mean, look, I'll give you the example of darts. Where was darts 20 years ago in New Zealand Sporting psyche? It was nowhere. It now is on our radar. Does that mean people are playing darts? Not necessarily, but people are suddenly curious, and it's now an option, isn't it? You then go and you have a look at the World Series of Poker. I mean, it's, you could argue it's not a sport, but, you know, it's on a sports channel. It's actually quite engaging they present it quite well, it's on our radar, it's an option. Then you go on and you go, hmm, yeah, there's a lot of road cycling on now. Um, You know, people always watch the Tour de France, we've got more New Zealanders riding, people do watch it, it's on our radar. And there's about 10, 15 sports that you can name that are now on our radar that people will occasionally have a look at. And so it's not just rugby, rugby league, cricket and netball. And the more those traditional sports continue to treat us like idiots, continue to just throw second-rate product at us, the greater threat they're coming under. And that is what has happened. Not netball so much. I think netball do it well at the moment. I think the breakers do it well in basketball. But I think basketball is lucky because it's got the NBA And that's created huge interest amongst our kids because it's such a cool product. And there's almost a a hero or an idol within basketball that fits every sort of genre. If you're slightly nerdy, there's a player that can fit the nerdy genre. If you're slightly gangster, there's a player that can fit the gangster genre. You know what I mean? If you're just pure athletic, well, there's a million players that just hit that athletic box. Um, But these main sports organisations just... I don't know, it's like they just can't see the wood through the trees. It's always been this way, it's always going to be that way, but it's not, it's not. I mean, T20 cricket doesn't have any interest, does it? One day cricket doesn't seem to have a lot of interest unless it's maybe Australia still. And even that, I mean, doesn't seem to be the interest anymore because the Australians never seen a decent side over here. So so you just look at these sports and go, how, how are they going to look in 10 years? Where are they going to be in 10 years? I mean, cricket should be thanking Brendan McCullum for what he's doing.
1: I only found out because of talking to Grant Elliott on Saturday that apparently there's something on the line in this Black Cap Sri Lanka ODI thing where if Sri Lanka had to win all their games to finish in the top eight, which was going to be some ODI tournament at the end of the year, I had well, no well, idea. Well, the
0: championships, yeah, they have the top eight teams and then they have four other teams that basically go into a playoff, which includes like the Netherlands, Ireland, um, Afghanistan, those types of things.
1: But the thing is, lots of the sport you have just rattled off as you say, there's nothing to it. And then they create these like meaningless trophies to to try and make it look like they're playing for something and it's like it's a relevant series when, in a matter well, of fact, there's actually nothing relevant no. to the series whatsoever. Well, mate, I, I didn't hear anybody.
0: You know, I, I always like to, you know, I like to drink coffee and I like to drink in groups and I've got quite a few social groups and I like to do it in the morning. And, uh, you know, Sunday morning, I didn't hear anyone talking about the one-day cricket. I didn't hear anyone talking about the Blues game that afternoon. I didn't hear anyone talking about the All-Whites game. Often when I do sit down, it's, people tend to talk more about the English Premier League from the night before in regards to results. They will talk about the Blues-Crusaders game. I'm not going to lie. People will talk about that to a degree. But it's becoming less and less. But there does seem to be interest in other sports. You go down to Takapuna Beach here in Auckland, okay, and it's an affluent suburb of Takapuna, but you get there, you want to see how many people are out swimming. You want to see how many... People are out there doing wakayama paddling now, mate. Well, I mean, where was that sport 20 years ago? We've always had dragon boat race, but not wakayama paddling. You've got former all-blacks like Whanau Bodoka heavily involved in that sport. It, it's a big, big community. I mean, they get 4,000 athletes down to their national championships, you know. And, and again, it's, it's, it's come in and it's just chipped away, just another little chip. And the foundations of those traditional sports, you get another sport that comes and chips away. What ends up doing, you actually end up eroding those foundations, don't you? And those sports then start to crumble.
1: I think some of these other sports as well, when they're coming through the ranks, you might, as you're saying, like with the NBA and you identify with the personalities. Some of these other sports that are smaller in context have these personalities, which people enjoy more because it's not just the same stuff all the time. Mm. There is actually, as you say, there's narratives to it or there's storylines that can, can can keep going and they they do a good job at, at showing that. But it's, it's just about trying to make some of this other sport relevant and that's why I was kind of thinking, does that mean they just have to take a step back and say, for argument's sake say with why if they just do an NPC? try to bring that tribalism back instead of just doing the Super Rugby then an All Blacks Test Series and then the Rugby Championship and then an MPC. Oh, look they've just like, got to
0: have one product they've got to make it a quality product they've got to make sure that there's depth of competition the best players are playing every week that's the simple model I, 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 a- a- and that's the simple model and they've got to have personality they've got to su- surround it and support it with um, television shows and media and that media has to be uh, integrated, So you've got, yep, you're allowed positive media, you're allowed those technical pieces, but you're allowed the opinion guys like me to come in and pick the sport apart or jump on any indiscretions and make it a larger news story if the public buy into it. That's what you've got to have. That's a successful sports product. Where sport has come undone in this country makes those big ones, it's this constant, oh, we've got to target families. I'm sorry, the families aren't watching. It's not your job to bring the kids up. It's parents' jobs to bring the kids up. What they've actually got to realise is, mate, we're all flawed, Ben. None of us are perfect. We all like, you know, we all like a punch-up. Well, a lot of guys like to see a punch-up. You know, um, we're all guilty of doing dumb things. There's a lot of people out there that womanise or women that, you know, chase multiple men or whatever. All I'm saying is that we are flawed. And so, it's okay if sport is flawed. But what, these do-gooders have done is they've somehow convinced themselves or been convinced that in fact only a few of us are flawed and the rest of us are all of the moral highest of the highest moral standing and we need to make sure that we fit that demographic as well and that is just where it is all so wrong we don't mind indiscretions we don't mind people making mistakes Um, you know we can be forgiving we can be unforgiving.
1: Do do you think different sports then have to try to find a different way to make themselves appealing? Because I look at a sport like Formula One, for example, and that was struggling big time, and then the Drive to Survive series on Netflix mm. came along, and it's, you could say it's rejuvenated the sport, and it's kind of got that interest all the time. But the issue I find now is that too many other sports are now trying to go down that model, well, so it's, then it's not going to be as well, interesting.
0: it's Netflix have said, hey, this works. It's the old thing, isn't it? You get a product that goes well, or we need more of it. And you go, well, yeah, you need a little bit more of it, but you don't need too much more of it.
1: And there is going to be too much of it now. And yeah, so. there is.
0: I mean, they're doing one on the America's Cup, by all accounts, and that might be interesting. But what you're going to do is you've got to tell a real story if you're going to do it. It's got to be a fly on the wall. You know, part of the reason why American Chopper and those shows on Discovery went well was because of the arguments between the father and the son. The reason why a lot of those shows regarding, say— um, and I don't mean it in this way, but you know those porn shops—not pornography shops, but those porn shops where you go in and yeah—you know you take... scripted as hell though, but yeah. But some of the ones set in Detroit—I mean, they're just, they just—they just look from the outside like trailer trash, don't they? If I can use that. I <laughs> I know I know the one. But, I know the but one there is something about. appealing about it because it's just a train wreck in front of you, and but they've got huge following. But you watch all of those shows; they are so personality driven. And it's all about flaws. It's all about jealousy or angst or celebrating or uh, reward. It's, it's, It's all those emotive things. And that's what sport needs to be. But we've taken it out of sport. We have. New Zealand done it. Because we've got a small group of people telling us how we should think, telling us how we should behave, and telling us what's offensive. And somehow, our media organisations have bought into it. What our media organisations actually need to realise: the actual minority these days is the silent majority, and you need to cater to them. I mean, you look at Sky Television as an example. Who, who would you say eighty percent of their eighty um, percent of their customer bases? If you were to use census, so if you know how you census and you've got to fill out your demographics, you'd say New Zealand European, right?
1: Probably, yes. Yeah,
0: the majority of Sky subscribers are New Zealand European.
1: I'd say definitely people over 40. Yeah, probably predominantly 50. New
0: Zealand European. There would be a Pacific Island population, which would be strong, but it's a smaller population. It's predominantly in Auckland. So comparative, it's still going to be a small, you know, it might be 30, 40, 50,000 people, right? And then, yeah, and clearly, you know, there would be a, a, a group of Māori as well. But predominantly it is European uh, would be the large part of their audience. Do you think they cater to those people now? I don't. I think they've moved well and truly away from it. They don't like us. They don't want to know us because we're all privileged and we're the reason why the whole world has gone wrong and it carries through into their shows. It does. Well, I'm. But there's nothing on there. There is nothing on Sky that reaches that demographic that I've just described, that, that New Zealand European 40 plus. There is nothing on there. We want engagement. We want discussion no, 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 no. You guys have had your say. You've ruled the world forever. Let's go the other way. And it's just so fundamentally wrong.
1: Yeah, it's yeah. well, I'm in my 20s, and I will fully admit the only time I put Sky on is to watch The Warriors. That's the only time I will put Sky on. And I also will delve into uh, BBC because I, I, I quite like my British TV shows. And that's like... But I'll usually watch those on demand. Yeah. So that's the only time.
0: Yeah, yeah but it, so, so that's good. And you're younger, right? And you've got a bit of time to do that. But you think about a guy like me, right? Who's got two kids and doesn't have as much time. And so how much more selective I am when I do have time. And that's the challenge these organisations face. And that's what Sky doesn't get. That's what they don't get. We've got limited time. And we have got so much to choose from now. You need to be at your very, very, best and people look at Super Rugby and go, hmm, yeah, not really interested in my more yeah, I don't know if I'll reset my sky subscription. Then they might go down to the pub and they realize it's not actually, you know, watch an all black game at a pub or makes place is actually doable. They know they can pick up highlights of certain things on news outlets. And and you certainly see more Sky subscribers going from the full package just to the online package. Mm. So they've got an increase in customers but a downturn in revenue. Which, if, if like Because if the increase in customers doesn't offset the decrease going from $80 a month to $50 a month.
1: Well, no, and if, if your target demographic is the one that we have highlighted, there's going to be a very decent proportion portion of those people who are older than that 40 and we have a an aging population so you know in 10 years let's say for argument's sake we're going to have let's say i don't know let's say 15 percent of our population goes and we don't have that immigration coming in then that's a whole lot of customer base which is going to be going down to less people
0: yeah but see the younger generation aren't watching sky at all so that's
1: what i mean there's no there's nothing there's no no incentives for me to go in and watch it no
0: there's not there's not and so You know, yeah, it's. But but they 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 don't look long term; they look short term. I, I mean, you know, they've got this what what is it? This women's only sports show on Sky. I guarantee you, no one's watching it. I don't know anyone, any woman I know, watching that in the smallest part. Now, the thing that constantly annoys me with this, and I've got, I'll keep saying this, I've got a daughter. I'm not, I love uh, women's track and field and uh, women's swimming, women's cycling, women's golf. Um, all of those sports I find highly engaging and I do follow. I follow my uh, English Premier League women's sport, uh, football with Liverpool, playing Everton the other day, etc. Okay, But what annoys me is when I pick up and suddenly they've got this, you know that 90%, 90%, even 95% of your Sky subscribers are male. That is just the truth. That is just it. It's the male in the house that decides to get Sky or not. Uh, Ask anybody that's married. Ask anybody that's got it. Yet, I pick up the paper and all I hear about is Sky Television telling me that they're going to send six women to the Olympic Games or five women to the Olympic Games as commentators and this is the first time it's ever been done. And look at us. And I go, okay, are they the best? Or is this just about payback is this just about a headline is this just about virtue signalling then I hear they're going to have this women's only sports review type show where women can talk sport which is great that's fine as long as there's an audience but what annoys me is then that they tell me that 80% of the crew behind the show are also women so they're discriminating against men and they haven't got the best people on the show they've just made sure that it's identity politics and then And I said this earlier tonight, there was an article in the Herald the other day that Sky's executive, which is their leadership team at the highest level, they've reached their goal of 50% women and 50% men. So they're not interested in getting the best people, they're just interested in making sure that they've got gender balance. And that is a terrible, terrible business model, an awful business model. Because you're not picking the best people, you're picking people based on gender. Now, I'll give you an example. So you've got 10 positions, and you said, okay, we're going to have five men and we're going to have five women. 20 people apply, and you get 15 world-class women. Five of them get jobs. The other five go to the five men. Doesn't matter how good they are, they just get given the five jobs. And so the 10 women that miss out are basically being discriminated against. You know, their profit at Sky comes through cutbacks, not through growth, not through revenue. And it's just turning a lot of people off. I know a lot of people who don't want to who, who just cringe when they come from an all black test, and they go to these panels. And you just know that it's just a box ticking exercise. The pre game warrior show, who watches that crap? Who watches it? Nobody, mate. It's cringy. It's absolute cringeworthy. It's a bloke sport. Guys want to hear blokes talking about it. It's that simple, don't they, Ben? You're not allowed to say that, of course, but that's the truth. That is the hard truth about it.
1: Well, I go back to you, what you, I said.
0: Netball, I want to watch women talking about netball, mate.
1: Well, I go back to what I said before. I, When the game's on, I turn it on. And when the game's done, I turn it off. Mm. And I go straight wait for the press conference. So mm. that kind of sums up that answer there, totally. Mm. And I, th- I think the, the, like when I go back to the, the, the Warriors panels that I enjoyed the most, it was when it was Stephen McIver, Brian McLennan. Lewis Brown, and I think Richie Barnett was on there as well. But those four, to me, that was the best that Sky had it in terms of Warriors analysis. But but
0: now you're just not allowed to have four men, are you? You're just not, not allowed to do it. You're just not allowed to do it. No, we've got to have a couple of women in there. We've just got to. And you go, yeah, I have no problem with that if it's going to enhance the product and if they're going to add something and if they bring a level of credibility that, somebody who's followed rugby league my entire life can accept and the problem is that rugby league amongst women is a very very new sport it's very much in its infancy and it's hard for me to sit there and listen to someone who's played four or five games of rugby league You might have played at international level but that's like yeah not that hard to get picked for because no one's playing it and suddenly be expected to believe that their knowledge is up there with Bluey McLennans I'm sorry but you're not allowed to say it, are you? And that's where it's wrong in this country. It is wrong. You know, I'll probably even get picked up for this conversation tonight. And it's wrong. It shouldn't be that way. And then they wonder why people are switching off in their droves. You know, go woke, go broke. I don't know what part of this they don't get. Most of us don't care whether it's all guys, or girls. women, 40% men, we just want the best people. We want people who are engaging. We want people who have credibility. We want people who are authentic. We want people who are good broadcasters, good journalists, good managers, good leaders. We don't want the stuff that's contrived, that's just disingenuous. And unfortunately, it's that latter model that we've adopted in this country.